Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name's Susan Wood, and would you mind standing for the scripture reading this morning? You're like, ah, we just got comfortable. We're going to be reading this morning from Romans 8, 1 through 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh to be his sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and it is, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the hope that we have in Jesus. Father, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that understand, we recognize your presence is with us. You are among us and we welcome your presence here. Help us to pay careful attention to your word, the scriptures, and the truth of what your spirit is saying to us. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. What a joy to be with you today. I have to just say right off the bat, I have such a deep respect for your pastor, Joe. He loves you. He loves the city. He has such a heart to see God's kingdom come, God's will be done in Manitou Springs. And so I love hearing the stories that are coming out of New Life Manitou, and I am so confident that in the days to come, there will be a lot more stories and a lot of good fruit that's happening here at New Life Manitou. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Gabe Jenkins. I've been a pastor at New Life for about 12 years. I currently lead our men's ministry, so I'm the men's pastor at New Life North. Now, I'm originally from western Kansas, so some amazing people in western Kansas, but not necessarily amazing scenery. So I traded the the views of telephone poles and windmills for Pikes Peak. So I think I did pretty good there, huh? But I've 
I've got a family. My wife's name is Ashley. We've been married just over 10 years. Then I've got three young kids, uh, Avery, who's eight, Sophie, who's six, and Owen, who's four. So two girls and a boy. So you might imagine that with three young kids, there's rarely a dull moment in our house. In fact, uh, and I think for the other families with young kids, you, you might be able to relate with this. My wife and I get nervous, not when things are loud, because things are always loud with young kids. Let's be honest, right? Kids are running through the house, and it's loud, and we get nervous when things are quiet. Because when things are quiet, it's like our radar goes up. Oh, what are they doing? What are they up to? So we've got three young kids, and we, uh, as if things aren't full and exciting enough with three young kids, we also decided to go out and get a new puppy. So we have a new puppy. So that's like having a fourth child. That's a lot of work. I was, I'm surprised by how much work a puppy is. And so this was quite interesting because on the very first day we got the puppy, uh, my son Owen, who was three at the time, ran up to the puppy and grabbed her by the back legs and lifted her up and was holding her upside down. And then he said, look, Dad, you can spread her legs. I said, put the puppy down, please. I'm pretty sure I heard the puppy pray, God, please give me another family, anybody but these crazy people. But it's been interesting. Uh, this, this puppy has, like I said, has, it's been a lot of work. And one of the things that's required a lot of work with the puppy is training the puppy to be led on a leash. Because when I, when I put the puppy on the leash and, and take her for a walk, she's so easily distracted. It's like squirrel, bunny, Sometimes she'll try to run ahead of me and try to pull, so I'm trying to like hold her back. And other times I'm trying to pull her forward and she's like, she won't budge. And, and I'm like, won't you just walk with me, puppy? Come on, like, it works better if you like keep in step with me. Walk with me, follow me, don't be so stubborn, don't be so distracted. And I wonder if sometimes that's the picture for God in us. See, today's, the, the title of this message today is Led by the Spirit. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be a little distracted. I have ideas, and God's like, no, Gabe, walk with me. Other times, in, in my passion, I run ahead of God. It's like, God, what's taking you so long? Come on. He's like, no, slow down. Other times, he's like, Gabe, no, come on, speed it up. But because of fear, it's like... So this idea that God is walking, literally walking with us, wanting to teach us how to keep in step with his spirit, teach us to walk with him, to keep right in his timing, right with his presence. And so if you've been here at New Life Manitou over the last several weeks, you know that we're working through the book of Romans. So last week was Romans 7, and today we're gonna be in Romans chapter 8. Now in Romans 7, Paul paints a really clear picture regarding the power of sin, in our powerlessness to overcome sin in our own strength. But then in Romans chapter eight, uh, we, Romans eight is overflowing with hope, overflowing in, in, with good news. Romans chapter seven doesn't mention the spirit of God. Romans eight includes some of the clearest instruction regarding the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And so let's just jump right in here. Romans chapter eight, verse one, he starts with this powerful declaration right off the bat. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So in other words, Jesus did the very thing that was impossible for us to do in our own strength. We could not. It was impossible in our own strength, in our own power, by our own effort to overcome the power of sin. So Jesus did the very thing that we could not do. And so there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from the power of sin and death. And then he goes on in verse four. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Everybody say that, according to the spirit. Okay, that's what I want to zero in on uh, this morning, in just living according to the Spirit. One of the themes in Romans chapter 8 is the significance that we as Christ followers have received the Holy Spirit. Paul makes a big deal out of this. Paul, Paul is painting a picture for us to say, this is a, okay, don't go over there. This is a big deal. This is significant that we have received the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters in Genesis 1, the same Holy Spirit that descended upon Jesus after his baptism, the same Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that came upon the apostles and the believers in the upper room. That's the exact same Holy Spirit that resides within us, and that is a a big deal. And so Paul is painting this picture. This is no small, this is no ordinary thing that the Holy Spirit is living in you, that you are a temple of his spirit. And so he goes on and he's saying, so because you've received the Holy Spirit, you are to live according to the Spirit. You are to orient your life around the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy, that's what God is inviting us into. He's inviting us into a life that is so counterintuitive. It's not, okay, try harder to overcome sin. It's not, he's shaking his fingers, you know, I can't believe you blew it again. No, he's saying, you've received the Holy Spirit. You've received freedom, so now learn to walk in that freedom, that freedom that Christ has already purchased on our behalf. And we do that, again, Paul says so clearly in Romans 8, we do that by living according to the Spirit. And so he, uh, Paul says the same general thing using different language. So for example, in Romans chapter 8, he says, be led by the Spirit. Also in Romans chapter 8, he says, live according to the Spirit. But in Galatians 5, he says the same thing differently. He says, walk by the Spirit. And also in Galatians 5, he says to keep in step with the Spirit. Nowhere is he saying, just try harder. Try harder to overcome the power of sin, and maybe if you keep trying, you'll crack the code and you'll be able to solve the equation in your own intellect. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, no, you've received the Spirit, so learn to live with the Spirit. I like what the Message Bible, how the Message Bible words this. Uh, in the Message Bible, in, in Romans 8, it says, and now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Isn't that a good picture? 
instead of redoubling our efforts, instead of trying harder, instead of rolling up our sleeves and clenching our teeth, is no, there's got to be a better way. And the better way is to embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Now, you may think, okay, that sounds good because I've tried to redouble my efforts and I, I recognize that that doesn't work. But how, how does this play out? Like, how do I actually embrace what the Spirit is doing in me? Like, how, what does this actually look like? Well, first, let me just say that when we embrace what the Spirit is doing in us, it can be really disruptive. Yeah. It can be disruptive to our pride. It can be disruptive to our timing of how we want things done. It can be disruptive for our, our yearning for a sense of control in life. It can be very disruptive in a lot of ways, even simple ways. It can be disruptive to unhealthy ways of relating to our spouse. The Holy Spirit can disrupt that. And he says, okay, let me show you a better way. Let me invite you into a better way of living. See, that's what the Holy Spirit ultimately is doing. He's inviting us into a better way of living. Now, as I said, it's disruptive, and because it's disruptive, it requires such a trust. We have to, we have to trust that what the Holy Spirit is doing is better than our way of living. Because if we don't trust, if we don't learn to yield to the Spirit of God, then we'll continue in our same patterns. We'll continue trying to live according to our own intellect, according to our own ideas, according to our own striving. And so it requires this sense of just yielding every single day, waking up and saying, today I'm going to yield to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to trust that what the Holy Spirit is doing in me today is better than what I could do without him. And so it's kind of like, I want to I offer this picture because it's kind of like dancing. Now I know for some guys, this, this might not be a very good analogy, I get it. But about 11 years ago, I was engaged uh, to Ashley, and we were planning our wedding. We were planning the rehearsal dinner. We were so excited. We were giddy. We had the countdown calendar going, how many days until our wedding. And so my mom came to us, and my mom loves a party. She loves to throw a party. And so she has all these party ideas, and so she came to us one day and said, why don't you two learn how to do a, uh, like this really fancy uh, ballroom dance and do it at your rehearsal dinner? Now, right away, my wife thought, yes, that's a great idea. And I thought, that's an awful idea. <laughs> but then my mom said, if you will do this, if you'll go through this process and learn this dance, I'll write you a check with a significant amount of money. And I said, that's a great idea. <laughs> Sign us up. So my wife and I showed up for our very first lesson, dance lesson. And the instructor looked at us and he said, Gabe, you have to take the lead. You are going to have to take the lead and you're going to have to guide Ashley through this dance that you're about to learn. Now what he failed to realize is that my wife is an incredible dancer. She was on a national championship dance team in high school. I mean, like, it's so deep in her. She is just an amazing dancer. And I have never danced a day in my life. I've always been a wrestler, not a dancer. Like, when I get close to people, it's not to dance. It was to throw people in a headlock. It's not to dance. And so, like, whoa, I have to lead 
the wrestler with two left feet has to lead the national champion dancer? This is, this is not good. And so sure enough, he's showing us the positions and he's, he's showing me what I have to do to lead her in the dance and it is really, really bad. I am stepping all over her. I am clumsy and I'm trying really hard. And at one point she gives me this look and she was kind and gracious, but she gave me this look like, you, you really don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, it took you this long to figure that out? <laughs> but she gave me that look like the wrong person is leading here. I should be leading. The, the dancer should be leading, not the wrestler. And so I was like, no, no, you heard what the man said. I have to be leading this dance. And so we went round and round and round, and it got worse. It didn't get better. And so finally, I had to come to that, that moment where I said, okay, the one who's actually qualified to lead is not leading and this isn't getting better. And so I said, Ashley, I am going to yield the leadership of this dance to you. <laughs> and so she's like, all right, now we can get somewhere. And I think right there, that's a picture for the Holy Spirit, right? When we try so hard, it's like, why, I can do this? I can do this in my own, my own strength. And it's like the Holy Spirit gives us the look, like, okay, when are you gonna actually yield the leadership to the one who's qualified to lead? And so when I did that, when I finally said, okay, you lead this dance, it started working really well. I became a really average dancer. But I, you, you got to know how low I was on the, I mean, I went from like really, really bad to kind of average, which was, that was a miracle. But what I had to learn is, first of all, I had to yield, uh, I had to yield control, so to speak, leadership to the one who was actually qualified to lead. And then here's the second thing I had to do. I had to actually follow the lead. It wasn't enough for me just to say, okay, you're qualified to lead, you do it, but I stand there like a pole. That wouldn't have worked. I had to actually follow the leading and, and the promptings that the one who was qualified to lead was guiding me, and that's how it started to work. And that's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's qualified to lead us. We're not qualified to figure out life on our own, but it's not enough just to say, yes, I trust you, God. In our daily life, we have to learn to keep in step with the Spirit. We have to learn to recognize, okay, what is he asking me to do? And then we have to flow with him. We can't just say, I trust you. We have to actually carry it out in real life while we're doing what he's telling us to do. And when that happens day after day after day, when we wake up in the morning and we yield control to the Holy Spirit, then when we go about our day actually paying attention to how he's leading us and doing it, it's this, we learn this beautiful dance of the Spirit. We keep in step. We live according to. We're led by the Spirit. Now, the more we do this day after day after day, what we're gonna find is there's some really good fruit that will appear in our life. And the fruit is what Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. See, as we, as we embrace what the Spirit's doing in us and cooperate with what the Spirit's doing in us, then this fruit is going to appear. And the fruit of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Now, I've never met anybody yet who would say, I don't want that. Every, everybody I've ever talked to has said, yeah, I want that. 
I want more love in my life. I want more peace in my life. I want, I want to be more kind. And so again, this comes back to this is not something that we can just manufacture. This, is, this happens as we abide in the Spirit of God, as we embrace the Spirit of God, as we allow the Holy Spirit to actually cultivate this fruit in us because it's what he's so passionate about. It's what he longs to do. The Spirit wants to increase this in all of us. He does. So it's, it's learning again each day to yield to him to embrace him, and then to follow along with what he's doing, that this fruit will increase. And uh, this, uh, for those who are married in here, I believe one of the greatest gifts that a husband or a wife can offer their spouse is the fruit of the Spirit. And what I mean by that is the more a husband allows the Holy Spirit to cultivate this, the more the fruit begins to appear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. What a gift that is to the wife. And the more a wife allows the Holy Spirit to bring this fruit to bear, and the more a wife allows the Holy Spirit to bring increased love, joy, peace, patience, what a gift it is to the husband. So even if marriages are in a really tough place, a good starting point is to say, okay, we've tried this in our own, it doesn't work. Holy Spirit, increase the fruit of the Spirit in me. Teach me to yield to you. Teach me to keep in step with you. Increase the fruit of the Spirit. And as that happens, that is such a blessing and such a gift to the spouse. So uh, how can we participate in this? If, if we want this, if, if that sounds good, if that sounds better than trying to figure out life on our own, how do we participate in this? And, and Paul uh, speaks to this uh, in verses five and six, Romans eight, first, verses five and six. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live, accordan- uh, live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So Paul, in verse four, Paul is saying, okay, we've received the Holy Spirit, now we have to live in accordance with the spirit. And the very first thing he says regarding living in accordance with the spirit is those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. It's an intentional process of setting our mind each day on what the Spirit desires and setting our mind on the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. This has been so helpful to me as I go about my day just to, just to set my mind on the reality that the Holy Spirit's with me. It's like with the puppy, I can be distracted. And it's like, well, thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are literally with me right now in this moment. And the more I learn to set my mind on his presence, the more I begin to pay attention to what he's doing and what he's saying and what he's, how he's leading me and guiding me and directing me. But so much of it is, is being disciplined to set my mind on his spirit. Now the scriptures have a lot to say about our mind and our thinking and our thought life. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. 
so important to renew the mind, to experience the transformation. Then in Philippians chapter four, uh, Paul writes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's like Paul is saying, be intentional. Be intentional with what you think about. Be intentional with what you set your mind on. And it's a process that, again, every single day we have to have intentionality with our thought life. Otherwise, our mind will begin to drift. It's kind of like driving. When I was about 14 years old, I, I could not wait to start driving. And so finally, my parents said, okay, we'll take you to get your permit. Now, I was hoping for like a Mustang for a first car, but they, they said, you can drive our minivan. <laughs> and so you might have a hard time believing this, but... Uh, I was too short to see over the steering wheel of the minivan when, when I was 14. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm still short. Okay, I get it. And so here's what I had to do. I had to take a pillow and a phone book, back in the days of a phone book, and I had to set it on the driver's seat, and then I had to prop myself on top of the phone book and pillow. Then I was barely able to see over the steering wheel. So that's quite a scene, a 14-year-old sitting on a phone book in a pillow, driving a minivan, but thinking he's real cool (laughs) because my friends were driving a Schwinn. So I was like, hey, how's that bike treating you? But what I learned early on when when it came to driving is that, and I learned this through experience, if you take your hands off the steering wheel, the vehicle will begin to drift into the ditch. I learned quickly that, whoa, this driving thing requires some real intentional, uh, you have to, some intentionality. You have to steer the vehicle. This is not necessarily hard work. You're not sweating profusely as you're driving a vehicle, but if we were not intentional to steer the vehicle, we're gonna end up in the ditch. And the same thing is with our mind. If we're not intentional to set our mind on what the Spirit desires and steer our mind, it's just how our mind works. Our mind will begin to end up in the ditch and we'll find ourselves dwelling on these things that God will say, no, 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 no. Let's bring you out of the ditch and set you back on the road and set your mind on what is good and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. Think about these things. Set your mind on what the Spirit desires and that's when we'll experience life and peace. But it requires, again, not necessarily hard work, but it requires intentionality and an awareness of where do we allow our mind to go? And then bringing our mind back on track and setting our mind in the spirit. And God is patient. God is so patient. If, you know, if, if we find ourselves uh, thinking about something that's not healthy, God's not there to beat us up and shame us. He's like, okay, let's just bring it right back on track. To set our mind on, on what is good. And then again, that's where the life and the peace starts to appear. It requires such intentionality and such an awareness. Just this week, I was uh, sitting with a man who had just found out that his wife uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And it, it was a heavy conversation. There was sadness there. But he, just as I observed his countenance, he looked really rooted. He didn't look like he was really wrestling with fear. 
in anxiety. And so I just asked him, how, how are you feeling? How, how are you experiencing this? And um, he said, I've had to come, I've had to ask myself, what do I know is true? What do I know is true? Because if I don't set my mind on what I know is true, I'm gonna be all over the place. So he had to anchor his mind and his heart on what he knew was true. He said, so this is what I know is true. I know he's with me. I know God is with me. I know God is with my wife. I know he loves us. I know he is gonna lead us through this. And so that's where he, that's where he camped out. That's where he set his anchor, so to speak, in the reality that God, through the Holy Spirit, is with him and that God loved him and his wife and would faithfully lead him through this. Doesn't have any guarantees on the outcome, but he has a guarantee that the God who loves him will not leave him or forsake him. And as he set his mind on that truth, as he anchored himself in that place, he said, I started to experience peace in a very difficult season. And so as we begin to uh, prepare to come to the table this morning, uh, I believe that is so powerful for all of us to set our mind on these two things. God is literally with you. Not in theory, but the reality that he is literally with you. And the second thing is not only is he with you, but he really, really loves you. This is how Paul closes out Romans chapter eight. He writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can set our mind on that truth, that not only is he with us, but there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. On your best day, he meets you with a bear hug and a huge smile. And on your worst day, just like with the prodigal son, he's there with his arms open, saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, and there's nothing that can separate you from my love. I wanna just encourage you to close your eyes and just take a few moments right, right now and just set your mind, set your heart on the reality that, that God is with you and that he loves you that there is nothing that you could possibly do or there's nothing anybody else could do that would separate you from the love of God. And in just a fresh way, I wanna encourage you just to receive his love, to open up your heart, receive his love. I recognize for some of you here, this may be brand new, but God formed you in your mother's womb 
He created you. He breathed the breath of life into you. And he came and did for you what you could not do yourself. He endured the brutality of Roman crucifixion on the cross and shed his own blood to set you free from the power of sin and death over you. And the Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. He wants to come and reside within your heart and lead and guide you. And so if you feel like that's what God is inviting you into, what I want us to do as a congregation is just all together, out loud, pray this prayer. Say, God, I believe in Jesus that he died on the cross to set me free from the power of sin and death. So I invite the Holy Spirit to come and live within me, to teach me how to follow Christ, to teach me how to keep in step with the Spirit, to fulfill the plans that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen.